So today is Orphan Sunday, um, first time we've celebrated that here. Uh, our Anglicans for Life chapter is uh, very much in tune with supporting life at all of, all of its various stages and aspects, and today we remember the orphan and the outcast. Today we remember God's love for adoption and adopted children and foster parenting, and that God loves the little ones. And as an adopted child myself, it's very near and dear to my heart. And some of us uh, in this church have been adopted, and some were orphans for a season. And so we remember today that many are still orphans across the world. Um, We'll have a guest speaker in just a few minutes, and uh, so I'm going to make this message short, so we'll give him some time to speak into this Sunday. But in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, is what we're going to look at, and it's too good just to pass up. It's one of those nuggets that I think speaks into our current climate right now. So turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. And what I want to point out is that this is a message to people in grief and discouragement. And so that's my first message. They were in grief and discouragement. And Paul brought to them a sense of good news and encouragement. And finally, this passage is about politics and power. Um, so we'll look at those three things. First of all, grief and discouragement. Paul, Silas, and Timothy were the founding fathers of this church at Thessalonica. We're told in Acts chapter 17 that they came and established the church and preached the gospel, but were soon run out of town by detractors. So what we have here this morning is a young church with young Christians not fully formed in their understanding about God's work in the world. They had learned from Paul, though, that Jesus Christ will come again soon. And they held on to that message. The problem was that he had not come as soon as they thought. And so they were discouraged. They were all balled up in anxiety and worship and even grief. Where is the Lord? When is he coming? And particularly what what caused them anxiety is that many in their congregation, their members and, and family and friends were dead and in the grave. What about them? Will Jesus be able to raise them as well? Are they lost forever? Will he ever come again? Will we see them in heaven? These are the type of discouragements that they were suffering, the type of grief they were enduring. So I ask you today, what is your discouragement? What is your grief? There is a lot to be discouraged and to grieve over in 2020. Many people have suffered job losses, financial losses. Some people have gotten sick and some people will have ongoing health problems because of this pandemic. Some marriages have been stressed to the brink. Some have broken up altogether. In all the stuff, the violence and the the sense of uh, unrest in our country and the political uh, warring between the two polar opposite ends, there's not a lot to be discouraged and in grief about. So how would Paul have us handle discouragement and grief? Does he say, Grief is not Christian. You ought not to grieve. You got Jesus. Does he say, you ought to be more like the British. Keep a stiff upper lip and just keep on going. Does he say, be stoic. Be stoic. Don't get too high or too low. Just plow through the grief and discouragement. Never let him see you sweat. Never let him see you cry. Of course, he doesn't do that, does he? We know that Jesus wept bitterly at the grave of Lazarus, his friend, So grief is not something that is discouraged in Scripture. 
In fact, when we look at the world around us and how out of sync it is with the way that we know that God intended it, we can grieve and be discouraged, and it's okay. But look at verse 13. Here's what Paul says to the church at Thessalonica. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, and that is dead, those who are dead and in the grave, about those who are asleep, that we may not grieve. It doesn't say to stop there, but we not, may not grieve as others who have no hope, who have no hope. You see, what Paul is saying there is that grief and discouragement is a part of life, but we don't grieve like the pagans. Underneath Christian grief is an enduring hope, a peace that passes understanding deep in our hearts, a sure and certain knowledge that Jesus, you got this, you got this, Jesus. Christian grief is always leavened with the hope of the gospel. And that's what we see in verse 14. Let's look at the good news of encouragement that Paul gives us in the midst of grief and loss. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with Jesus all those who have fallen asleep. You're worried, you're anxious about those who are in the grave. For since, here is the reason we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Why? Because we believe that Jesus died and rose again. For since, the gospel hope is the hope that gets us through discouragement and grief. Our grief is viewed through the lens of Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Paul is telling them that, that you watched Jesus die. You watched him as he rose again on the third day. Jesus is victorious. He's overcome sin and death and hell and Satan. The politics of this age... There was a politician 2,000 years ago. He was running for office. And uh, he was running for the office called Messiah of all of Israel. There were about 70 predecessors who had also run for that office. This Messiah saw a drop in poll numbers. He was dead and in the grave. His disciples, they went back home to their jobs and families. Some of them locked themselves away in the upper room for fear of the Jews they took down the political campaign signs. They pulled off the bumper stickers. In Luke chapter 24, those two disciples on the road to Emmaus say, but we had hoped that he was the one to save all of Israel. We hoped that he would save us, and now he's dead. But on the third day, he rose from the grave. All the other 70 messianic pretenders that were before Jesus, they all died, and their disciples went back home Rome took notice and they squashed the rebellion and they went home and took up their signs. Their political Messiah was dead. But it's Jesus, Jesus who rose from the dead. It's Jesus that we celebrate 2,000 years later. When we grieve, Paul says, look at the cross, look at the resurrection. Know that Jesus lives yet today and he will come again to take even the dead in the grave to himself and those who are alive will meet him in the air and he will take them to heaven. That's our hope. Now it's about politics and power as well. Finally, we need to touch on that. Verse 16. Look at how political this is. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with a voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Trumpets blaring, all creation bowing to King Jesus. Look at the word, for the Lord himself will do this. 
I know as a Christian, I've grown up with those words, Lord and kingdom and king, and sometimes it, I'm numb to it. I'm numb to the political aspect of the gospel, that Jesus is Lord, that he's come to bring a new kingdom, that he is about supplanting these earthly kingdoms with a new kingdom of peace and righteousness, a peaceable kingdom where the lion will lay down with the lamb, a peaceable kingdom where heaven overshadows the broken parts of this world. Paul is reminding the church that Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. That was a phrase that arose in the early Christian church. Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. Maybe it's a word that we could take home today. Whether our candidate or candidates won or lost, or whether we were ashamed of the whole process, or wherever you are this morning, take home that word, Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. You know, Luke chapter 2 is, is full of political language. In Luke chapter 2, it calls Jesus, he came into the world to be our Savior and our Lord. It uses terms like gospel or good news. It uses terms like peace. Did you know that Caesar in Rome broadcast to all his people across the empire that he was the Savior? That he alone was their Lord? He alone was to be bowed down to? Caesar alone can bring the good news to the people? Caesar of, uh, can only bring peace of Rome, the Pax Romana? Caesar alone can do these things. Luke says, no, 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 no. Only Jesus can do these things. Luke chapter 2 is subversive political language. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus brings good news. Jesus brings the peace. So that, our King of Kings, is Lord of Lords. And Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. I love the book written by J.R.R. Tolkien, one of his novels called The Return of the King. The Return of the King. Jesus will return and come to us. Verse 16 for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with a voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then Paul sums this word up in verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Church, if you are in the midst of grief, whether it's political or any other kind of discouragement, do not grieve as those who have no hope. You have the gospel. Jesus is victorious. He has already overcome sin and death, hell and Satan. Good Friday and Easter Sunday testify to that. Jesus is Lord. Jesus has come to, to bring heaven down to earth, to create a new heaven and a new earth, where all of our wounds in this society will be made whole again, and Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eyes. He is Lord. Caesar's not. There was a bishop that came to an Anglican church years ago, and one of the adult confirmands was from the Pentecostal church. And before the confirmation, he addressed the, the new, newly con confirmed people, the candidates for confirmation. And she had a question, Bishop, before I get confirmed today, I need to know, are we premillennialists, postmillennialists, or amillennialists as Anglicans? He thought about it for a moment, and he said, my dear woman... I would say that we are pan-millennialists. She said, what in the world? Never heard of that. What is a pan-millennialist? And he said, well, my dear, when we believe that Jesus is Lord over all creation, we know that all things will pan out in the end. 
<laughs> Remember, Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not.